0: And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And we welcome you to into a, another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports, BigSpur.com, Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC Network. Uh, lots to get to today, and we're going to start off, we've been kind of, Hot and heavy on the guest line here of late, whether it's Tim Brando, Chris Doring, some other folks around the SEC, and another one we have privilege to have today, a guy who's been around the SEC in a while, former Auburn offensive lineman, you know him now on the uh, SEC network, the nighttime crew each and every Saturday night, also hosts a a talk show back in Birmingham called Three Man Front. It is Cole Kublik, everybody. Cole, how are you? Hey, doing well, Mike. Appreciate you guys having me today. Good to have you on. I think, uh, first of all, congratulations. I know I've been on your show a few times and have said this, but I, I remember you know, this business, just like the position you play can be a grind. And I remember when we were all just kind of getting our feet in the door with ESPN, the SEC Network. I think you and I did Dak Prescott's first career start at Mississippi State and then uh, then you start doing gigs like the Vanderbilt spring game. Nobody broke down a long snap competition like you did on that one. Uh, but yeah, I'm awfully uh, proud of uh, the way your career has blossomed. And, and I think that most people really enjoy a unique perspective that uh, that you bring as a former offensive lineman and a former SEC offensive lineman. So kudos to you on that. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's been a lot of fun. and yeah, It's...
1: It's, you think back to some of those cSS days and you know yeah. doing replays for Auburn games and mm-hmm. Sunbelt games and it's uh it doesn 't feel like that long ago so it's uh, it 's pretty cool that we 've been able to do different things but uh, hopefully we 're hopefully we 're not even done
0: climbing uh, still got a long way to go as far as i 'm concerned yeah well i 'm right there with you, my friend. Um, let me start off and and I mentioned among the many things you do is you host a three hour talk show you 're talking to, to two guys that They used to do it. I did it. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, Four hours. Sorry. I didn't mean to to change the three-man front. Um, Okay. Four. That just poses an even greater challenge. You're talking to two guys that hosted a three-hour talk show every day, and I did it for for 12, 15 years in in a number of markets, and and they all were focused on college football. And college football could just carry not just those three, four months a season, but really the whole year. You could find excuses with spring football in practice and recruiting, but this is obviously a unique situation. So what have you been doing to pass the time in these four hours during these last three, four months? Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of a lot of
1: creativity. I think maybe one advantage that I had at the beginning of this is I was doing XFL games. Um, does it get redundant? Yes. Uh, does it get repetitive? Of course. Are there things that you'd probably rather not spend a lot of time on that need to be discussed? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't like talking about Rob Manfred in 60 games, 75 games, 30 games, 50, I mean, back and forth and back and forth. At some point in time, you just say, hey, man, when they're going to have a season, we'll talk about it. I, I, the, what, why are we breaking this down every day? Uh, you know, same thing with sort of the NBA bubble. It's just, yes, those are sports stories, but at the same time, they're kind of how much time are we going to spend on this so for me it's been have fun
0: be yourself tell stories and you know you'll find a way to be entertaining I'm curious on the front of the, the, the season, and, and I think, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you a whole lot during this off season or hear your show, but uh, you believe there's going to be a season, don't you? I mean, at, I at this point, yeah, I yeah, believe I there's... We'll start on time, and I think there'll be a yeah, season. I do, too, and, and, and I've been consistent about that, not because I'm the smartest guy in the room. I've just, just based it on some science, some logic, uh, what to believe. Uh, yes, there is a money element. It's undeniable that... Uh, that about 80% of the revenue for all these schools is football money. And it's, it's not a bottomless pit like everybody wants to believe, Uh, but have you found yourself as frustrated as, as me and when you follow some in the media, I'm I'm not here to call anybody out, but there's, there's some writers in particular. It's clear that they have such a cynical view that They've already got the column written that if this season has any hiccups, I, I told you we should have never even played it. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Have you found that the least bit frustrating that people that almost seems like they, they don't have anything vested in the season happening, and they can't wait for something to go wrong, and they continue to write about that as opposed to any type of problem solving or practical measure?
1: There, there are a lot of parts of it that have been frustrating to me, Mike. Um, you yeah, know, I've seen, I've seen stories about how – how wrong it is that these athletic departments are making kids come back for voluntary workouts. Everybody always likes to to shun the voluntary workout thing. And it's, I tell people this all the time, you know what? 99% of college football players want to be college football players. Right. And, and most of them know what it takes to be that. So you can, you can make fun of the fact that it's voluntary. That's just what the NCAA has allowed it to be. Um, voluntary, involuntary. Most kids are going to go. And it's not because a coach is necessarily going to hold it against you. Although that can happen. I had parts of that happen to me for different things. Coaches hold grudges, but the reality is if you're not there, somebody's passing you. Somebody's walking right by you in the weight room in conditioning on the practice field, or whatever it is, you're going to get passed up. And most guys know that, um, you know, then obviously the responsibility with reporting on just COVID-19 in general and the testing, Knowing the difference in the terminology, isolating, quarantining, positive tests, those are three different things. And some people do not portray it that way and have not portrayed it that way. That's frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Not having an understanding of what schools' medical departments' expectations were when players would come back. And to add the shock value to that when there really hasn't been a ton of it from the school's perspective Has been frustrating. So, there are parts of listen. I'll 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 just say that there are parts I understand. Um, You cover sports online right now. You're you're painted into a corner. I get that. I understand it. Uh, Terrestrial radio is seeing a lot of that right now. Um, There there there's just not a lot of jobs, and and they seem to be going away at at a rapid rate. So guys have to write things that are going to get people to come to where they are. You got to keep your job. I get it. But I think when you combine that fear, even if it's subconscious with the lack of knowledge, covering something that we've never covered before, we've, we've never covered anything like this before. I mean, it's not like they can go ask the old reporters what it was like covering the Spanish flu when they had to cancel football. Then I mean, we don't, we don't know what this is like. We don't know what it looks like. Sounds like what it what it read. Like we, we just, I mean, legitimately, I think the only thing in college football you could compare this to would have been a world war. And and I'm not saying that COVID-19 is like a world war, but I'm saying when you're talking about potentially not playing a season, I, I don't know many other things that, that were potentially going to stand in the way to that, to that effect. So I get it. Guys need clicks. I understand it. Uh, you're worried about their, your career, your job, your livelihood. I understand? We don't know everything about this deal. It changes every day. I get it. You know, somebody said the other day um, when the when the the deal at UCLA happened and the kids wanted a third party medical expert, which is you know what? Fine, great. You, I mean, they already had it. So, but somebody said, you know, this this goes to show that that no coach is going to be an expert on COVID-19. And I said, well, I'll just ask the question, and I ask this being someone who doesn't know. Is there a medical expert out there that's an expert on COVID-19? <laughs> no. I, I mean, I don't... I don't I'm don't. i not going to pretend like I know that, but yeah, I feel like the answer is probably no just because it, it hasn't been around long enough. So we're in a, a very strange time and there are so many unknowns that uh, I think that there should be some some pause There there should be some caution with how some of we proceed with a lot of this. And the guys that you're talking about, they, there is no caution. There is no neutral. It's straight to six
2: gear. And you know, this is what it is. And I'll yeah. say, I'll say this about the job thing. I mean, I, I understand the environment that we're in and I do, I do think we're in a period of retraction in this business and not expansion. And that was before the pandemic. Um, but I, I look the the way universities are inherently reactionary, especially to the social media mob for lack of a better term. If you lead the if you're the Pied Piper in this and you're leading the cause to not have a season. Chances are you're not going to have a job because nobody's going to keep you on payroll to cover (laughs) COVID-19 or social protests. You're a sports writer. And I I just don't understand the, the, the lack of protection of the sport that comes through with some of these folks um in the interest of of of, of 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 you know playing to some you know political theory. You're absolutely right, Cole. There aren't any experts on this thing. You know, it, it, it ranges from well, the completely reactionary to the to the complete denial. Uh, well, yeah, and, that, and that's I- medical
0: experts. Guys, let me add something to what both of you said, and this is, this is part of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the local reporter uh, from the Huntsville Times who's, who's got the Auburn. Oh, no, I'm, I, I get it. We know who I, you're talking about. I, I mean, I, I'm talking about some national guys who believe they are so entrenched in the business that they feel like their job security is much more than that, and they come at every story with the angle of college athletes are exploited. You know, maybe maybe after NIL they'll back off that a little bit, but they uh, and I keep hearing the term, "Oh, they're these kids are being forced into this environment when the adults." So first of all, the people that are in the most danger would be the coaching staff because they're the older people that are more prone to capture this virus and more vulnerable to it if they test positive. So this whole this whole notion that we're just throwing these kids uh, uh, against their will into a dangerous, precarious spot. And the coaches have no risk and the staff and all the people that comprise of a football set. It, it's ridiculous, but there's a lot I,
1: of that I, I, I'll tell you, Mike, I, I hate playing the card of I played and you didn't. Right. But it feels a lot of times like the guys who are, who are banging that drum the hardest of how unfair Life as a college football player is and that yeah. exploitation that you brought up, and mm-hmm. never play uh, and, you know, free labor and that whole deal. Yep. Never play. It seems to be guys that didn't do it, and and probably didn't even play in high school. That, yeah, there's not a ton of guys that did it that they may say, you know, hey, these kids deserve something that's too much money, which I'm I'm fine with that. Mm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of NIL because I know what the underbelly is going to look like, and I <laughs> think that could end up being really bad, but. Yeah. The, the guys who just want this free market, free enterprise, anything goes, can't, shouldn't be able to hold them back. Those are the ones that don't understand the power of the platform, which is where I always go. And that mm-hmm. if you played at South Carolina, if you played at Tennessee, if you played at Ohio state, if you played at Texas, I don't, you guys aren't talking to me right now. If I, play, if I didn't play at Auburn, if I played at Troy or Southern Miss or Akron or Fresno state. I'm probably not sitting here having this conversation because I'm not working for the SEC network. I'm right. not working for ESPN. Jocks sure as hell don't want me working for them. <laughs> so it's just the reality of it. Yeah. And people refuse to see the value of everything that comes with it. It doesn't, not everything has to be tangible. Not everything of value is a tangible good that I can just hand you. And you know, I have a buddy Griff Redmill play offensive line at Alabama. I'll always give him credit for this quote. You know, he's in he sells packaging, but he makes a ton of money doing it. And he's he's always told me, I tell my kids, every dime I've ever made in my life is because I played football at Alabama. And none nobody gave me any of it. None of them.
2: And nobody talks about that. So real. Nobody talks about that, Cole. That that's the problem. It's like you talk about name image image likeness and, and paying players and the value they could get if they went pro. That's three percent of the players that play college football. Yeah. Nobody talks about the ninety-seven percent that, that have an abundance of opportunity in the business world. In media, uh, I see almost every day a player that I once ranked as a recruiting analyst fifteen years ago becoming a college coach. College coaches make what three, four, five hundred grand a year minimum at the Power Five level. Those are good-paying jobs. You know, nobody talks about those opportunities. They're they're all focused on, you know, the the, the handful of guys that would be no-brainers going pro. And, well, yeah, three or four guys in a particular recruiting class um, nationally could probably go get in a training camp somewhere and make a roster. You know, but they don't talk about development on the field at all, and then they don't talk about everybody else that plays college football and the overwhelmingly positive experiences that they have and the opportunities they have moving forward. And, and that, that's ridiculous for these people that are supposedly all about the free market and you know equality and, and all this other stuff. You know, you're, you're basically looking at somebody that you 97 know, of the guys and saying, well, whatever you're doing is worthless. Uh, We need to cater to this, you know, 3% or whatever. Um, And, you know, whatever, you know, you're getting is just kind of scraps from the table. And financially, when you compare it to a pro football player, maybe it is. But like you mentioned, you know, your friend that played at Alabama, you can, (laughs) you know, in life, you know, you need to go make money and have a good career if you're not going to play ball, if you're not lucky enough to do it. And so... Um, you know that that's a positive thing that nobody on that in that elite bubble, in my opinion, I call it the elite bubble, wants to recognize, and I think it's sad.
0: Yeah, Cole wanted to ask you. Uh, you you're right. You are on here in, in part because you played for Auburn. So let's get the former player perspective. um and you can put COVID specifically into this, or you could not, but either way, things are obviously different than your typical off season for all these guys. And you played a a position that you can't replicate in seven on seven, for example. I mean, it's such a contact position. So, let's start with offensive linemen in general. I mean, what are you looking at? Put yourself in the, in the shoes of these guys now that are trying to get back into football shape and getting ready to play such a a nasty position, if you will, what's it going to be like?
1: I think we are embarking on the least physical college football season that any of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Partially because they miss spring practice, partially because, Uh, They haven't been able to be in their weight rooms, partially because under the guidance of their strength and conditioning staff, partially because they haven't had the equipment available to get into the kind of shape that it's going to take to be ready to play football. And my opinion is that even with this extra two-week period that the NCAA is going to grant most college football or all college football teams, I I think most coaches are going to go into this uber-paranoid. And they're not going to go in there and pound on each other every day because they're going to be sitting there thinking, hey, we're probably losing a bunch of guys anyway. If we lose two or three during fall camp, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, I just don't see it. I I, I don't see where you're going to have a bunch of full pad practices, ones versus ones, middle drill, pass rush, where you're just hitting every other day or every day. Um, Even with the extra time, I don't see it. Um, I think the acclimation process in college football has gotten very different. The acclimation process in college football now begins in January for freshmen. Um, when I played football, that people would have laughed at you if they told you that a kid did that. Like, I don't even know if people thought it was possible. Um, the amount of kids that go in in January when I assigned at Auburn were the ones that went in summer, so they went in June or July. And the rest of us came in in August, which is what I did. And you still had guys contribute sometimes. I mean, true guys played back, back then sometimes, and even before that. But the acclamation period is what made it has made it so different to where more freshmen can not just contribute but be heavy contributors to your foot. I mean Derek Stingley was practicing in the bowl game before his first season at L S U against guys who were about to go pro. Even- that's only two or three of those practices. There's a ton of value in that. And you think about the fact that now he knows the speed of the game, the physicality of the game. He knows the verbiage. He knows where to line up, how to line up. He knows what things are going to look like. And once you get to practice, he doesn't have to know. They don't have to tell him where to go to line up to do individual drills and, and individual fundamental periods. He doesn't know where to be for ones versus ones or twos versus twos or pass scale or seven on seven or where a teams going to be held or what special teams looks like. He knows it all. And so the more guys you have that that have acclimated themselves to what it's going to be like, what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, that's not, you don't have to take reps away from your potential starters or second team guys in the fall because they're all ready for that. Well, now none of these freshmen know what it's like. So you got to get them acclimated and that acclimation period will take reps away from your starters. Think about cross-training guys. What if you get, like, let's say Alabama, for example. Evan Neal, everybody thinks he's going to right tackle. He might, maybe he does, he, he is quick enough to play right tackle. He hadn't repped over there. And what if he can't do it? Does Landon Dickerson have to pop out there? He hadn't repped out there. So now you're now you're cross training these guys, and that's just fewer reps that your eventual starting five are spending together to be able to build that chemistry and be able to bond. And as an offensive lineman, that that would be the scariest position of all because not only is it the most difficult position to condition to be in shape to be ready to play, but I think it's the position that would probably be affected the most by losing strength on the field. So and that's both of those things are working against offensive linemen right now. Um, you know, the, the advantage that they may have is you know, defensive linemen have been dealing with the same things. Other teams have been dealing with the same things, but um, I, I I think that'll affect a lot of groups, a, a, a lot. I think returning starters is more important this year than it's ever been. I usually point fingers and laugh and people say, well, he's an all SEC guy. He started last year. Well, maybe they didn't have anybody else and he just had to play. But I think that experience is now key because they know the speed of the game. They know what a game feels like. Um, I think leadership is going to be massive. That's why I think some people are underselling LSU. They have the, a constant reminder of that culture of what it took to go win a championship. You can live on that for about another year. Now they can't live on that for two or three more years, but those kids are hungry enough now because they know what it just took to to go do that. They saw it. They had the guys in front of them do it. A lot of these other teams don't have that. So I think the culture there will help them a little bit, but Where's the accountability been coming from the last two three months, and where's it going to keep coming from for the next two months? And that includes guys going out, guys going to parties, you know, guys chasing girls, guys going to different social events when you should probably be staying home. Are, are you wearing a mask when you go out? You know, are you are you eating around other people that could be you know, could put you in jeopardy, which is going to put your other teammates in jeopardy? So I think leadership's going to be big. I agree that offensive linemen are going to have a really hard time being acclimated and
0: being physically ready for what this season is going to be. As a, as a coordinator or a play caller, I mean, do you have to simplify things a little bit more or do you feel confident that even though you guys haven't been able to get together and practice as much and everything else, you can still circulate playbooks, although playbooks are not exactly running through it.
1: and, And there's, there's a, there's been a part of this that will be beneficial. And I think the part that will be most beneficial will be, conceptual football learning. When when you're a college football player, you, you live, we we talked about bubbles a couple of times in this deal. You live in the ultimate bubble, like, you know what you do and you might know what the guy next to you does because it affects what you're going to do. And that's about it. Most offensive linemen, I know my assignment and I know my assignment based on who's lined up in front of me and maybe right behind him. And then, and then it's over now. I played center, so there were coverages that would tell me different things. Alignment by linebackers, DBs would tell me certain things. So I did try to take it a step further. But guards and tackles don't need to know. They don't even know all that stuff. Mm. Um, you know, running backs they might not pay attention to what a strong safety's doing or how a corner's playing a slot receiver or an outside guy. Well, I think there's been enough time in film study and being around the guys in these Zoom meetings where. It's not just going to be this is your job on this play. And here's the five fronts we might get. And here's how you would alter that. Let's just learn it from, from the foundation up. Let's look at what everybody's doing. And let's get a better feel for why we're trying to run this play this way. And I think that helps you become a better football player. Coaches don't have time to do that during the season. You've got to have your guy doing his job and maybe be able to help the guy next to him doing his job worry about not busting your assignment I mean it's the ultimate CYA in college football (laughs) so I think now that you've had some of that extra time that could actually be a big benefit yeah Um, but I mean you look at look at Mississippi State look at Missouri look at Arkansas look at Ole Miss that those are not going to be easy transitions now Ole Miss had a couple spring practices and some of those teams got two three in but trying to run a different offense and see the thing about that acclimation period like we talked about you got to know your alignment. Like, what what do they want? What does Coach Leach want the slot receiver splits to be? What does the offensive line coach want the splits and the depth between the, the guard and tackle to be? You know, what depth do they want on a certain step on a certain outside zone play against a different look? You got to be on the field to know those things and learn those things, and and then it comes into just chemistry and wherewithal of. How many balls has, has K.J. Costello thrown to Kylan Hill? You know, how many times have they, have they run a handoff mesh on a zone read? Yep, probably not a ton. And those are things that you're going to have to be on the field to be able to do, and they're going to be way behind when they start.
0: He's Cole Kublik of the SCC Network JOX Radio in Birmingham. All right, the, these are the kind of questions we would normally ask, and I realize there's – a caveat to everything when we start talking about, what is this team going to look like? What is this position group going to look like? But let's just try to do the best we can to assume things are going to be remotely normal. Last year, of course, Georgia, by many accounts, had the best O-line in the SEC. Some people said the country. Uh, what do you, where do you rank O-lines this year in the SEC? Who do you like and who, who's suspect this year?
1: I, th- I think Alabama's clear number one. Um, I'm not sure that the others are are very close to them right now. Uh, I think Leatherwood is second or third at worst best tackle in college football. I think Deontay Brown's a top five guard in college football. You know, Landon Dickerson's a guy that'll probably get drafted and play in the NFL. Evan Neal is just a mammoth. I mean, he is a, he is like a, a, Uh, I mean, a a Marvel character um, on the football field. And they got a guy Darren Galcourt that I think is going to be a really good center for them one day. Emilio Okafor played a little bit. So they have some depth. Now I think Tennessee's first five are not that far behind, but I question their depth. I don't know. I don't know who the next guy is going to be. If somebody goes down, but I think Wanya Morris has a chance to be great at tackle. Trey Smith is second or third best off. I mean, it's, it's has Sewell and then either Trey Smith or Wyatt Davis, And so he's going to be second or third best offensive lineman in college football. And Brandon Kennedy's played a ton of ball at center, started at Alabama. Now he's at Tennessee. And if they get Kate Mays health or eligible at the other guard, they may have the best guard tandem in college football. Um, I, I think Kentucky's group needs to be talked about. I think they, they are very close to Tennessee for maybe being number two in the league. Um, I would have Tennessee there. Tennessee has Trey Smith. That's the difference. Everybody's like, Kentucky's got tackles back, and this Drake Jackson. I'm like, hey, I love them all, but you don't have Trey Smith, man. And I mean, Trey Smith's just a different dude. It's like you guys have got a bunch of Batman's, and you know, they got they got Thor, and the guys that have superpowers. Like <laughs> your guys put on a costume. Like this dude's got superhuman powers. He's just a different guy, uh, and you, you guys don't have that. But I think Landon Young is solid. Canard is solid. Uh, Fortner solid. I think Drake Jackson at worst second best center in college football behind Creed Humphrey, Oklahoma, that Kentucky group's going to be good. And the, and the thing about them, they got a quarterback with starting experience. Nobody's talking about Terry Wilson and they got a plethora of weapons. I mean, you got AJ Rose smoke Monday, Christopher Rodriguez, everybody just focuses on Lynn Bowden being gone. And he was, I think he was the MVP of the league last year, but they have other guys that can carry the ball and they may be a little more balanced this year. So, uh, I like that Kentucky group a lot. Um, I think a and M's one we could be talking about by the end of the year. Carson Green's solid. Kenyon Green had a nice freshman year. I think LSU has the talent to be there, but they're just moving some guys around, and we'll see some, some different people starting in different places. But Bama, Tennessee, Kentucky are kind of setting the standard
0: for that deal right now. Is there a good team that overall everybody's high on, but maybe you specifically are looking at their line saying not so fast. They got some issues there on the front
1: maybe I would say it a little bit different way about Florida and, you know, I had Florida as the fifth best O-line in the league. Part of that was by default. Part of that was experience. And I just like the fact that they got a bunch of guys that have played. Uh, So I think again, this year and the way they run their system, they can benefit from that. Um, I, I I don't see a bunch of first round picks on that offensive line, but I think year two with Coach Hepacy, they'll have an idea of how to manage it, what it's supposed to look like. And then they got a quarterback that just knows where to get the ball. And that's so valuable in being able to offset quarterback hits, turnovers, pressures, things like that. So I think that's a group that has a chance. But, again, there's a little bit of worry with that as well because they're not super talented. And there were times last year that they flat out just didn't play great football. But I think Florida has every chance to win the East. I'd probably pick them to win the East right now.
0: Big picture wise, you know, there's the complaint has been everything's been so predictable in college football and somewhat in the SEC for that matter. LSU, obviously, even if you thought they were going to be good, no one could have predicted that type of season overall. But it, it seems like even I know Vegas has Alabama's practically even money to win the whole thing. So I might be contradicting myself. But I I would say the races for, like, even if you're convinced Alabama's going to win it, the races for second place, third place, the race for first in the East, it seems like there could be a little more diversity in the upper third of this conference that we haven't had in a while.
1: Uh, Yeah, I just don't know if there's going to be a ton of new blood to the party. I think if there is A&M, probably that team, they have a schedule that could allow them to be maybe 10 and O when they go to Tuscaloosa and then they've got Bama LSU to close it out. I mean, I don't care how good or bad you are. If you're 10 and O and you're playing Alabama and LSU, those games all of a sudden become very different for a lot of different reasons. Uh, No matter how the matchup looks just mentally and emotionally, they are very different football games. Um, I think Calamon can progress. Good group of receivers, probably best group of tight ends in the nation, Uh, a better D line than people think. um, And they, they got a good staff. Uh, I think in the East, it could be really tricky because, yeah, it's Georgia, Florida. Like I said, I probably lean Florida right now mainly because of all the question marks with Georgia on offense, but Georgia's got the best defense returning in the league. But Tennessee's going to be a problem for some folks, especially if they stay healthy. Um, first off, Jeremy's just that good of a coach, that good of an in game coach. And then you got a great O line, you got good backs. If you can get a quarterback that just doesn't throw the ball to the other team, that's going to help. That'll go a long way. And I, like I said, I think Kentucky's a dangerous team. You know, Brad White did a great job with that defense last year. They were the number four passing defense in the country when the season ended last year, nobody knows that. And Jamar Watson's back Pascal's back. So they, they got some guys up front that are pretty good football players and they should be able to control the clock on offense again by playing ground and pound. So, I don't think Kentucky can win the East, but man, I think they could maybe keep somebody from winning the East. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you got an experienced quarterback back at South Carolina. Uh, you're going to have a new system in Missouri, which you know maybe could give people problems on any given day. So, yeah, it's 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 going mean, to you know, Auburn's got an experienced quarterback now. You know LSU, the system's in place; they know how to do it. They got LSU might have the second best offensive player in college football and the best defensive player in college football in Derek Stanley, and Jamar Chase. Nobody taught them. I mean, that's a pretty good place to start. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, I agree. They, it could be closer because I think, you know, I don't, I don't have a ton of confidence that Ben's defense is just going to be great. And if they don't have a ton of success running the ball, then, you know, can they go out there and score 45 a game? Maybe, but you know, they, some things are going to be very different for that team as well
0: gonna be a lot of different in college football as a whole this year That's Cole, the word. Uh, That's the, that the is the word, word. different, ready for different. That's yeah all I, I keep saying that the word you have to remove from your vocabulary or, or, or phrase you have to remove from your vocabulary is the norm or ideal yeah. there's nothing ideal about college football this season there's not going to be anything ideal about any sport this season but uh thankfully i do think we're going to have it knock on wood what before we let you go what do the next couple of months look like for you you got the show obviously each and every day uh what else? What's going on? for Three kids. Get ready for football. That's enough. That's all you need right there.
1: I don't know how much (laughs) more (laughs) I can handle.
0: I think we're all in the same boat on that. Cole, thank you so much, man. Again, it's been a pleasure watching you uh, rise up the ranks. You do terrific work and uh, hope to talk to you down the road. Appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. This is JC. Thanks for listening to the JC and Morgan podcast.
2: Um, got more to come in this episode. Just wanted to tell you guys that we sort of recorded this half and half, one with Cole, one with Mike and I. And we decided because the interview with Cole was so strong, we'll put that at the beginning, let you guys enjoy that, and then play the rest of the show. So I wanted to tell you coming up, there are some references, do not be confused, <laughs> where we say, when we talk to Cole later. Um, And so I just wanted to tell you guys that in case there's any confusion, don't be confused. I know you can get it. We have a very smart audience. Um, Okay. So here's Mike and I for the rest of today's episode of the JC and Morgan college football podcast.
0: Thank you very much for listening. He's always got a unique take JC, because I've always thought, you know, offensive lineman next to quarterback, of course, offensive linemen to me are like catchers in baseball. They very often, are some of the most intriguing people to listen to. You know, Barrett Jones of Alabama is a guy I worked with for a number of years on SEC Network, who's just brilliant. And they, they, they're the way they see the game is just flat out different. And and they have to be so knowledgeable to play that position. And I think Cole's been able to parlay that into a into a solid career now, and uh, he'll be parlaying that uh, into our interview. Yeah, Cole. When I want
2: to know about. Offensive lineman around the country individually, particularly in the SEC. I mean, he's a guy that's just, I I consider him a guru uh, in that regard. I I think he's really smart. Um, And you're right. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid, Mike, uh, we were talking about, I I had to play offensive line when I was in sixth grade and uh, I was better at defensive line, but I, I played offensive line. And he's like, well, those are the ones that are sitting around in the NFL in the locker room counting their money. (laughs) So, you know, he's like, those are the smart guys. And so uh, my dad was a quarterback, so that was high praise coming from him. But, um, yeah, looking forward to talking with Cole later and getting into a lot of this good stuff.
0: Um, I don't even know where to start anymore with these things. That's why I I think we're going to be quicker with this before we get into the Cole interview. Um, Since we were on last week, you know the i guess the biggest story in college football has been this school has this many positive tests that school has this many and it's you know it's a constant update and so on and so forth i i don't know what people expected like <laughs> first of, okay let me start with this jc this is what i don't understand and we've talked so much about there there are people in our profession they they come at Every aspect of college football from these are the disenfranchised uh, victims of having to play college football for the mere cost of a scholarship, right? And now they're throwing these quote unquote kids. Uh, did, did, you, did you ever call yourself a kid when you were 20 years old and in college? I know those are fighting words. Somebody Uh, called me a boy when I was 20 years old. Adults cause I'm just a kid. You're just a a kid. These are children for crying out loud. Uh, No, these are young men. They're old enough to vote. They're old enough to fight in the military. Uh, These are not children, but, but so they they come at everything from that angle that right away, they're now they're, you're throwing these children into harm's way because you don't care about them. And these millionaire coaches those millionaire coaches are more susceptible to this virus than any of those quote unquote children. And if they get it, they're more, much more susceptible to have really bad things happen than 20 year olds. Uh, just look at the data. But uh, so I, I get it. Like I, I, like I told you, and I told our audience weeks ago, the column was already written. It was. They were just waiting to hit the send button. The cynical. I'm smarter than than you are. Uh, th- this is an inherently bad system, and now I'm going to pile on and tell you it's even worse than I even than I already said it was. That was already ready to go, and so you're you're seeing that every time one of these comes out. This school's got five positive tests. This school's got twenty. Oh, it drives me crazy. Uh, but uh, but but the thing is, like, does anybody stop and think? Okay, wait a minute they obviously were positive before they arrived on campus to conduct activities, right? So, which means, A, they got it on their own, which goes back to the original point that several coaches have mentioned, that the, the safest thing for these young men to do is to be in an environment where they're tested and they're kept away from doing what normal college kids do, which is go and party and do this and do that, where they're not really thinking about safety first. Uh, and and B, like, there are some positives... Most of the kids that age that get it are not symptomatic, right? Asymptomatic is the term. Uh, and, and so, in other words, if that's true, if we, just, if, we just, if we just already punted away the college football season, which is what some of these people wanted you to do, then these kids would have been asymptomatic, carrying around the virus, spreading the virus without knowing, all their friends getting the virus without knowing, And it would just go on and go on and go on. So why would, why would this be a negative that we're actually capturing this now in late June? You know, they have the best medical care at their disposal. You know, they're going to be quarantined. Even if you think if you're the most cynical and like you think these coaches don't care about anybody, they're just evil tyrants. Well, if you believe they are nothing more than selfish people that want to win, guess what? They need these kids healthy to win. They need them to test negative to win. So obviously they're going to take every precaution, that's necessary to do that. But none of this is said, none of this is pointed out. It's all just wrapped up and spit out in this most cynical tone and that everything is overwhelmingly negative. And I just wonder, does your average college football fan not see through some of that? I think most do. I think, I mean, you know, this whole
2: thing's gotten extremely politicized by both ends of the political spectrum. And I think, you know, a lot of these folks that, um, or banging the drum or kind of lean one way politically. And, and as far as their political dogma goes these days, you know, this, this, you know, it's good for them politically uh, on that side to keep the country locked down uh, until November. And uh, I'm just going to say it, you know, a lot of these folks don't give a damn about public health. They don't want to look at it. It's not that they don't really look at anything. It's, it's, it's trendy politically and socially, to put your mask and you know put your mask on and I, look I'm not anti mask don't get me wrong I think it's stupid to not wear a mask um, if you know you want to protect yourself and others I don't think that should be politicized but they put it in their in their little Twitter things with their blue check marks or maybe not their blue check marks and you know they would just assume the country stay locked down and we have no football and, and the place looks disaster it looks like a disaster area and it's bad because you know what, quite frankly, some of them are very revolutionary and and they don't like the way things have gone in this country, not just the past three and a half years, but the past, you know, 12 or so years. And, you know, whenever you have something that's torn down, you look through history, you have an opportunity to radically change it. And I'm not saying this is everybody's worldview. I'm saying, don't think for a second that some of this isn't attached to politics. Now I'm not going to talk any more politics. I'm going to talk about you know the vilification of coaches and, and college football in general. Um, I, I think that for some people it make them you know to their own peril because they're college football writers and media folks. I mean maybe they make enough money to get by. I don't know. I, my guess is some of them probably don't unless they've invested well and saved well because I know how much those folks make. Um, Major media companies are not going to fund college football coverage when there is no college football. Major media companies economically are struggling, okay? They have to make money. Now, they're making money hand over fist with the news end, but don't think for a second they're not going to completely furlough all of sports if there are no sports. If your sport doesn't happen, you can't cover it, can you? No, and nobody's paying you to write social justice columns over and over again about how unfair the sport we all love, including all the players that play it and the coaches that coach it is, is fundamentally unfair. You can go start your own blog and see how many hits you get then. Um, And and so I think, I think that's the, that's the disconnect. It's part political. It's part like just the, 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 the the view of the college football world. And and quite frankly, look, I'm a realist. Okay. I, I think, climbing numbers of cases, and I look at hospitalizations and deaths more than cases because positive tests, um, those numbers spike. That's a problem. And so I'm, I'm not living in, in la-la land here, but the cynicism and the constant beating over the head you know, of people that are probably following you on Twitter because they love college football. And once upon a time, they loved and respected what you wrote about a game they love. And they don't really want to hear about your, you know, social opinions. You know, the, the constant cynicism and, and the arrogance and the beating over the head makes me want to throw up.
0: Yeah. And of course, you know about that side of the business uh, very well. Because, I mean, again, sure. again, running a running a website and and. Uh, being a part of that that site, whether it's covering recruiting or running a, a a fan website, what have you, you know what that's what that's all about. I, I do think there's unfortunately, and it's it's embarrassing embarrassing to say that some people just cannot separate their politics uh, from covering the sport that they're in charge of. I also think there's another element that's even that is somewhat apolitical. Like I said, I I just think it's there's some people truly believe that they sound smarter, the more smug and cynical they come at every subject with. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the I call you know it I mean? the, the J school disease. yeah. And that's not even a, politi- like you uh, can, you could be on either side of the aisle exactly. and, and come at it from that angle. Like oh, all these people are just talking about their college football as if there's nothing going on in the world. Well, I know the evil that's going on and I'm going to just, rain on their parade and kind of show them. I mean, there, there are a couple of national guys. And again, I mean, it's, it's like they share the same brain and all they do, no matter what talk show appearance they have, no matter what column they write, it, it's all this. Well, I told everything has this angle of <laughs> these idiots. that think we should just play college football. And it's, it's, again, uh, I'm I'm not saying that, I know all the answers, but I don't think that's the answer. And it sure as heck isn't any type of problem solving. I mean, thank goodness these aren't the people in charge of trying to to make things work in in any aspect. If we keep saying college football is a business, okay, fine. Let's treat it like every other business. Every other business right now is trying to figure out how to operate under these conditions, which are not ideal, uh, but they still are, in some cases, almost uh, obligatory if they're going to survive. And there's a lot yeah. of college programs that can't survive by just kicking away after losing out on March Madness. Let's just kick away college football in 2020. And let's go ahead and cancel the basketball season while we're at it. Let's just go ahead and put a moratorium on revenue uh, producing sports for the next three years, just to be on the safe side. I mean, you just can't do that. Like some, some practical people and logical people have to step in and take the arrows of, of the cynics and and take the criticism because you're not going to be right at every step. If Dr. Fauci can't bat a thousand on this sure as hell, nobody else can. So let's just understand that there are going to be bumps in the road. Uh, as I've said on a number of shows that I've been on recently, I think every school is going into this season with the intention of playing 12 games. Are there possibilities there that there could be a couple of games canceled? Absolutely okay. And what's your point? Like we have games, can, we have games canceled every year anyway, whether it's a hurricane or whether, I mean, stuff happens, but that doesn't mean you just, again, put your head in the sand like an ostrich and say, uncle, I don't, I don't know what to do. And therefore let's just give up. So I, yeah. thankfully I don't think the people in charge are looking at it that way. Baseball, we just got the news in the last 24 hours is going to have their Sixty game season. They're actually playing at ballparks. Don't know what the crowds are going to be like, and frankly, I don't care. And as I've said all along, I don't think college football crowds are going to be anything like what we've seen in the past. And I don't want to say I don't care, but I accept it as a, a, a loss that you have to take for the greater gain. And I do believe the greater gain here will prevail and we're going to have a season are there going to be things that go wrong yes will people kick the people that are in charge of those particular schools or decisions while they're down absolutely they'll do it with glee but that doesn't mean they were wrong to make an effort to have this thing go along just like i don't believe universities are wrong to try to have kids on campus as opposed to basically punting on an entire semester of university life
2: yeah and here's the thing I think this football season, number one, coaches need to manage it. And and look, like Cole, like, like we're going to talk to Cole later about this, but like he'll probably uh, address is that there's so much that goes into preparing for a football season. There are going to be some unprepared teams. And I think that's going to kind of make it fun, Mike, because we've been kind of sitting here going through a few years where it's been unpredictable or very predictable. And you don't know, I mean, look, if I'm a fourth teamer right now, I'm rocking and rolling and ready to go to practice because, you know, if you have a positive test and, and, and you know, you have a guy that, you know, you have, you know, you're, you're starting three corners and let's say you have four corners and, you know, you're, you're going to rotate your guy in there. And, and, and that's going to be a fact of life and that's going to impact outcomes of games. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what Vegas does because, you're talking about setting lines with rosters that very well can fluctuate. College coaches are not required to disclose people that are out, you know, so they can keep yeah. it secret and you, you could have a seven point favorite roll out there with, you know, a, a second and third team defense, you know, yeah. I mean, but, but here's what I hope doesn't happen. And, and I know that this, this would be something that would disappoint me. Fans need college football. College athletics is much more about the name on the front of the jersey than the back. Pro sports, maybe not so much, depending on what pro sport you're talking about in what town and what franchise. You know, you could probably say, you know, Green Bay Packers, yeah, it's more about the Packers. But, you know, the pro sports, I think, is much more about superstars and individuals. And I think college sports is, you know, more about, like, you know, the team. What I hope doesn't happen is, you go in and you have a team that's missing. Maybe they're missing 11 starters or or maybe they're missing their entire starting offense. Let's just throw that hypothetical out there, but they have a second team offense and they have enough players to play. I hope they still play because you you may take a loss or you may, you know, you may take an ugly loss. You know, you may have Vanderbilt beating Alabama by about three touchdowns because Bama's players are out or whatever. But I still think fans deserve to see you play, and I think that the guys on the team that are healthy probably would like to go give it a go. I mean, that's what college athletics is all about. It's going to make the outcomes wild, but I hope we don't have strategic forfeits. In other words, well, if we play, even though, you know, 60 of our players are healthy and we can line up and go play, Mm -hmm. we're going to get beat, so we're just going to take the forfeit. You know, I I think that gets into something where it's – you know, it kind of violates the spirit of the game. And and I know that's kind of a weird philosophy, but I'm concerned, you know, you're going to see some things like that. And I'm always of the opinion, if you have enough players, go play. I'd like to see what the little walk-on corner or walk-on quarterback (laughs) could do against whoever. Heck, I lived through the Kevin Sides era at South Carolina in 1999, all of two games. So, look, I'm all for it seeing those daggum, uh, you know, walk on guys, get out there and give it a go.
0: There you go. I, I think that's the year, uh, Lou Holtz started like six different quarterbacks, yeah, which was, won which, zero games. And zero. it was, I think it was an NCAA record, um, <laughs> to, to do that. I'm serious. I think that actually it was an NCAA record. It um, was. yeah, I, I look, I, bookies are going to be working overtime to get inside information. That's for sure. There there's, we always talk about the predictability that college football has become the last couple of years. Maybe this is the year it actually deviates a little bit from that. It's going to get crazy. It, it's going to get nuts. It, you know, there's, and there are stories out there, the, the Patriot league, which of course is is not FBS, but they're restricting travel and, in, in, in their season. And uh, when you hear a story like that, there's, you know, your ears kind of perk up a little bit. Wait a minute. Did, which which week was that? Uh, as of right now, nothing has derailed what is, what is supposed to be uh, a college football season where every team plays 12 games. We have 130 FBS schools. I'll be honest with you, and I've been one of the most optimistic on this when everybody was uh, – not everybody, but a lot – in our profession, we're telling you how there wasn't going to be a season. Uh, the people that I spoke to were not close to committing to bagging the season at all. In fact, the opposite. Uh, but even I was like, well, it's not going to be all 130 teams. Like there's no. going to be a couple schools from the Mac that bow out. And there might still be, there, there's going to be a school from the mountain West. And of course, California had its own issues. And then quickly the governor did a 180 and no, oh, okay. Oh, you can play. Okay. So uh, I, I'm, I'm almost and I'm glad I'm wrong on this part. If there are all 130 that are ready to go, fantastic. Um, and everybody's scheduled to play 12 games, but there's going to be some games canceled. I think that's almost an inevitability. And if that happens, guess what? We move on. And like one team plays 12, another team plays 11. It, it you don't just you that don't happens. just yeah, that happens. It happens with hurricanes every year. It happens yeah. with with all kinds of, uh, weather uh, situations and Clement weather has been canceling or postponing games since the beginning of time. So, um, it's not as if everybody's going to just go in scramble mode and go, Oh my goodness. Now it's a house of cards and everything's going to fall apart. No, you make, you have intelligent people that get together and say, okay, now where do we go from here? This is, if we're going to call college football business, this is what businesses do. They they acclimate, uh, they make decisions on the fly. Uh, They always have a plan B. They have a contingency plan. That's that's what we're going to see. That is the new normal in 2020. So um, that to me is, I I hate to keep banging the same drum, but unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, I think the drum that's being beaten is we are playing. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that want to give you a thousand reasons why it's a bad idea. Uh, I, for one, don't subscribe to that. I'll just, I'll just say flat out. And, uh, and I'll, when we talk to our guest, Cole, you'll get his thoughts, uh, Cole Kublick, as a former player, I'm promise you this much Cole Kublik, as a 19, 20, 21 year old at Auburn in this situation, wasn't going to say, Oh, I don't, I don't really don't want I don't want to play. Can we just can we just sit out? No. And most of these kids don't want to just sit out. And most of these kids, despite what you're hearing, are not in fear uh, of playing college football this year. Uh, So every precaution is going to be taken care of. I only wish we all had the same setup that a big time college athlete has. And I'm glad they have it but they've got the best doctors. They've got access to testing that most people don't have. I don't know about you where you are, uh, JC, but around here uh, in Atlanta, there is a local, um, it's free, but they'll, they'll take your, your test. You, you go, you drive up, it's like a drive through and they, you take a test. Well, there is a line every day now that is a mile long. And so some of the people that want to take that test, they're probably waiting in their car hours. Right. And then I don't know how long it days to get the actual results of the test. That's just the reality for most people. Anybody who's trying to see a doctor for anything, you know how long sometimes it takes to do that. These young men have the advantage of they are on a little bit of a pedestal and so they're going to be tested immediately Uh and when something happens they're going to have people that are going to hold their hand and tell them what to do and make sure they have the best medical care and make sure they're quarantined and then test them again and make sure they're going to go through things um much more easily than your average american citizen would and i'm not saying they don't deserve to great i'm all for it i hope it's run smoothly but that's that's the deal and um Uh, with all the doom and gloom out there, I just, I just think that has to be said now as, as we sit here in late June, is there the possibility that all hell breaks loose and, uh, there's a second wave, even though that wouldn't be presumably until about November, uh, or there's just this rampant spread. And then, then we handle that. the, The goalposts are always moving, but for right now, you can plan on having a college football season.
2: Yeah, I think even even if it starts to, you know, I, I think that it, it gets back to the original point of the lockdown, and you're right, the goalposts do keep moving with this whole thing. Um, flatten the curve was what, what we were all told, and you were flattening the curve because the worry was, with an influx of very sick people that needed care, that it would overwhelm the hospital system in various places. And, it, you know, because of the measures... That were put in the social distancing, the quote unquote lockdowns. In places like New York, they didn't even come close. I mean, they had a lot of you know makeshift emergency hospitals that never got used. Um, there are people that work in healthcare that have been fired or laid off because hospitals are not that busy. Um, now, you still have to watch it, though. I mean, you know, you get like rampant spread, and it may it may overwhelm the hospital system. And and, and that's the reason why I think you lock everything down. I think everything else, uh, that that would be the only reason that you do a lockdown again. I think right now, you know, the idea is wear a mask. Okay. And and folks stop politicizing the mask. I mean, that's stupid. And I've said that on every radio show I've been on this podcast two or three times, Uh, you know, wearing a mask, that little piece of inconvenience in order to have life keep going um, is a small price to pay. And some of them you can put your favorite team's logo on them and it looks pretty sharp. Call BP Skinner. Get your customized man. Yeah, exactly. It covers up my double chin, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, wear the mask, practice social distancing, you know, try to, to stay smart, wash your wash hands. Your hands and I mean, all that stuff, face. you know, shower, you know, <laughs> all that good stuff. And, and I think it'll be fine. Um, and, and so, so that's what it is. I, I think that the country in general, and this includes sports outside of a small portion of people who I think really liked and enjoyed the lockdown, um, and never got tired of it, and really probably will never leave their house again. Um, I mean, I just don't think the country has the appetite to shut down again. That includes college football. I, th- I think that this this virus, when you look at the actual numbers, it it's not something like <laughs> it's not the KV virus from I Am Legend that, that has a ninety percent kill rate and turns eight percent of the population into into bloodthirsty zombies. Okay. Um, it's not, it's not Ebola, you know, that, that's, that's bad that I guess melts your brain or whatever. Um, it's something that it can be deadly and should be taken seriously, but it, it's, it's something that, you know, apparently a lot of people have had not even known it. And so you're going to have some positive, I say all that to say this, these colleges are going to have some positive tests. And you're going you're gonna to quarantine those guys, and you may not even have this quarantine for 14 days. Um, they're talking about maybe doing seven days. They may change the standards on that. Again, the goalposts are moving. Um, and you take care of it, you know, and and, and you make sure that folks with uh, even young people that play ball with underlying conditions that you're, you're very, you know, you watch those guys and you make sure they get the immediate care they need. And that's a very small percent. It's going to be a very small percentage of college football players, if any. Um, And, you know, and I think that that's, uh, that's how you got to work it. I mean, I think that it's, it's one of those things until there's a vaccine or a cure or a treatment, you know, that's just going to be, what we have to live with. And, um, but I absolutely don't think canceling a football season and sending an entire block of the economy into economic ruin because football is part of the economy. Uh, is the answer at all. I, I think that that's, um, that's a little bit extreme. Uh, although the season I do think is going to be quite interesting from a competitive standpoint because you are going to have to sit guys and there will be guys
0: out because of positive tests and things like that. Before we get to our uh, interview with Cole, I do want to mention I kind of uh, sneak preview that a little bit with the mask talk because among the many things that uh, Brent Skinner has going on, yes, you can get yourself a nice – adult face mask i mean one of those nice ones the ones i've been wearing are you know the the real cheap cotton which i guess uh, most of us have gotten a hold of and yeah they're not comfortable and they feel kind of dirty and bubble i i need to Brent, if you're listening where's my custom mask <laughs> i'm not complaining cuz i just got one of my new uh one of my new sports jackets custom made and it just got shipped to my door and like everything else that Brent produces, it is slick. I mean, it's mm. so smooth. Uh, it's the, the Skaball brand, but they have, uh, many others, although I would recommend the Skaball. It's everything that they, they churn out is top, top notch, high quality gets so many compliments on that. I might've mentioned this last time we were on a, a friend of mine was looking for a great gift for her husband, heard about our ad, and uh, went ahead and said, I, I want to get Brent up here. And I, uh, They live in D.C. I said, that's okay, because Brent Skinner is national. He's too big to be held to one county or one state. Uh, his work is so good. He's got clients that you see on the Today Show or coaches or broadcasters or – regular business folks that just like looking and feeling good so check them out com is the website you can find the contact information there and just book an appointment and again he comes to you the clothes come to you you don't have to move you don't have to go into a department store which if you're like me you get nauseous sometimes even going into malls or anything like that It's a bpskinnerclothiers.com .com. All right, J.C., anything else you want to get off your uh, your chest yeah. here before we get to Cole? Yeah, because we've talked about this. I just got a, a breaking news. Um, I guess the news
2: broke uh, 22 minutes ago. Penn State has sent out an email to its letterman saying, no Letterman sideline passes this year. Um, and in the spirit of that, they said Beaver Stadium capacity. Um, and this stadium um, – Hundred six thousand five hundred seventy-two. Penn State, I think, second to Michigan as far as capacity in the country. Um, the, the 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 capacity is going to be lowered dramatically in the interest of public health. Uh, we're doing so so games can be played, um, and so it doesn't give a number. I'm thinking eighteen thousand, twenty thousand tops. Uh, in a stadium like that. So, and we've said that from the start, Mike, that we weren't ready to say full crowds, full go. Um, no. I, I think there's the crowd uh, that that's the one thing that's going to be dramatically
0: different is you're not going to see, you're going to probably see this cut by like 80%. In my yeah. The, the first number I heard from any AD was roughly 20%. Yeah. And then as things were calming down, then you started hearing, well, maybe a third, maybe even a half, and then you had uh, protesting and rioting, and then you had numbers go up, uh, and then you then all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's 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 pump the brakes on throwing out any percentages of whatnot. You're you're going to hear constant updates on that with every school, and of course, not all schools are different, not all areas of the country are different, not all stadiums uh, are, are the same, is what I should say, and and so it's it's going to vary. Yeah. But again, and I, and I shouldn't look. You and I are not in the same boat as the season ticket holder who has gone to every home game for the last 20 years and and, and is waiting on pins and needles whether or not that ticket's going to be honored. So I don't yeah. want to diminish the importance of that. No, I, you I, do what you got to do to get a season. Th- yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying is that <laughs> right now I can't get all worked up about what percentage of fans are going to be allowed. Yeah. I'm just more concerned about... Let's make sure we have a season, and then we'll figure the particulars of the the attendance out.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with, like, local laws and stuff like that. I know Pennsylvania's been real strict with their lockdown. Their governor has caught some heat for that. Um, And I also know here in Illinois, uh, in Chicago, the Cubs and White Sox are going to be playing at Wrigley. And uh, what do they call it? What is the name of that? It's Comiskey Park, basically. Um, It's called Safe Advance Fun field or something like that. Now I don't know. Mm-hmm. I forgot what the whites, but they're they're expecting eight thousand a game in those two stadiums, respectively. Uh, I think they seat like thirty and forty or thirty five and forty five. So that kind of gives you an idea, like in Illinois, what the standards there are, and in Pennsylvania, and down south, it may be different, maybe not. So um, I, I, I do think though we're going to be looking at limited capacity across the country. And, you know, that's just that and wearing a mask when you're in the stadium is a small price to pay. To small get price to pay
0: and yeah. uh, I, I think if there's one thing we've learned with all the other things being uh, taught and preached right now, here, here's a, th- a good idea. Avoid house parties, avoid <laughs> clubs. I mean, <laughs> I just like, I mean, that's, that's even beyond the mask. Like if you're in a mob of people, Mask or no mask, you're enhancing your chances of, of getting it, spreading it, what have you. I mean, somehow I, that must have been lost in translation. We got so fixated on the mask or no mask conversation that we we lost sight of the fact that if you're in a mob of people, at a, a party or a club or a, a protest or whatever the case may be, you're 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 putting yourself in harm's way you're putting your others in harm's way so might want to think that through a little bit
2: all right folks uh again i'll have the, the outro here uh once again thanks to bp skinner clothier be sure to check those guys out um, this has been the jc and morgan podcast we hope you enjoyed uh this episode regardless of how um uh kind of out of whack it is uh in terms of you know, the, 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 the flow of the show today. But I thought the content was really good. We'll be back at you next week or the next as we continue to work towards college football season. For Mike Morgan, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the J.C. Morgan College Football Pod.